This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Amy Bird, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Todd Pruitt and Carl Truman. And today we want to talk about an important topic. We like to put emphasis on the local church a lot here at Mortification of Spin. And today we want to talk about the relationships between the pastor and the session, and then even the deacons we're going to throw in there as well. But I had a pastoral question um, for Todd, actually. Oh, I'd love to hear to it, get Amy. get us started, yeah. Remember when we had that conversation about yoga? I remember numerous conversations yeah. about yoga, yeah. And, you know, kind of what it's associated with, with the Eastern yes. religions and yes. the danger then of participating in something like secular yoga. Well, well there's no such thing as secular yoga, That's but go what ahead. you said, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes. It's all demonic. I was exactly. wondering, as we're sitting here, and I'm... I'm watching you drink your coffee cup with the picture of a goddess on the front of it. <laughs> oh, the Starbucks <laughs> emblem. Yes. Semi, Are you maybe inviting in demons, well. Uh, Todd? Well, uh, actually. To our podcast. Sure, sure. No, that's Mary, the queen of heaven. That's, um, you know, so it's all cool. No, so no, no. You can drink that coffee, like, and it's just like common <laughs> coffee. There's nothing this is, you dangerous. Know, it's just a corporate logo. That. It's just a corporate logo. It's just a secular logo. And it's no problem uh, whatsoever. In fact, just to cover myself, I feel bad every time I drink out of it. Well, so. okay. So as long as you feel bad when you're doing your downward dog stretch, guys, uh-huh, it's okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, All right. Well, okay, we perfect. can kick off our talk today then. Perfect. 
we'll revisit that issue when we're talking about uh, your unconfessed sins. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what's our topic again? What is our topic uh, today? Beating Rel- on Todd. <laughs> Relationship between pastor oh, session yes. and deacons. How do the pastors and the elders of the church uh, relate? Carl, is, is the OPC two office or three office? Um, it depends on who you ask. We have oh, three okay. office guys and two office guys. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Which are you? I'm a two and a half office guy. <laughs> okay, I, I I take no strong stand on that. But and what yeah. does it mean? Let's make okay. sure our listeners okay. so, know what so, that means. So, uh, in in Presbyterian circles, you'll have churches like, for the instance, the PCA is a two office church, which means we believe that the Bible gives to the church two offices: that of elder and that of deacon. That there's not a separate office of pastor but that pastors are elders. Now, there's a distinction, and I think this is probably where Carl's two and a half comes in, and I actually, I would love to say that I'm two and a half for this reason, because we draw a distinction that there's two different kinds of elders, and again, because Paul seems to indicate that, those elders that give themselves full time to the ministry of the gospel, and those elders that don't. And so we have teaching elders and ruling elders. Ruling elders are typically lay elders. Teaching elders have to be seminary trained, and they are given over full-time to the ministry of the elder. So it's a 2.5 nuclear household. <laughs> Some, something like that, yeah, yeah. Typically, even the most strong two-office guys would not allow elders to administer the sacraments. You'd have to be a pastor, minister, mm-hmm. to, to administer the sacraments. Right. So that's why I say two-and-a-half office. I think there is mm-hmm. parity of elders, but I also think there's a distinction between those who are called as ministers and have Word and sacrament, and those who are called as as elders to govern. Right. So when I talk about elders and pastors, I'm doing so from the perspective that you know pastors are elders, but there is a practical distinction there. And so I think it could be helpful to talk a little bit about how can elders, or what we call the church's session, how can a session encourage and support their pastor, and how can a pastor encourage and support their session. And and along the way, we might want to talk about things like what are some things you need to watch out for that can damage that relationship? Because if that relationship goes south, it's really, really bad for the church. I have come to find, I've I've been at Covenant Presbyterian now for almost five years, and the relationship between the pastor and the rest of the elders is vital to the health of the church. The happiness that we have together as a session, all of the elders together, teaching elders and ruling elders, is vital to the health of the church. And so this is not something that a church can afford to neglect. It's not something that the elders and the pastors of the church can afford to neglect. They need to carefully cultivate a trusting, loving, close relationship for the glory of God and for the good of the church. So let's talk a little bit about that. How can that, how does that work? How do we cultivate, how do pastors and, 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 and elders cultivate a, a good relationship? How can the session relate to their pastor in a way that builds him up and helps him? And how does the pastor relate to the session in a way that does the same for them? I think some of it comes at the level of who gets selected to be an elder, who gets Mm -hmm. proposed to the congregation for election. Because you're not only, I think, when you're looking at a congregation for potential elders, you're not simply looking at somebody who ticks all of the doctrinal boxes. You're also looking for somebody who has the personality and the attitude that means they're not going to be a warmonger, they're mm-hmm. not going to be a divisive or an angry person on session. Somebody who understands that there are issues of which, as an elder, or as members of a session, you may disagree, and you may disagree quite strongly, but ultimately when the vote comes down and the session make a decision, a policy decision on something, everybody supports that decision. Yeah. 
I think nothing weakens a session or damages a session more than division, particularly mm. public division yeah. on a session, where maybe you have different elders becoming focal points for disgruntled mm-hmm. factions in the congregation. So I think a big part of making sure the session get on well together is making sure that the right people get proposed and elected in the first place. Yeah, and so that's huge. And one of the things that a church has to watch out for is that it could be that a, a well-known and influential man in the church has a following or, or has influences because he's just so sharp doctrinally. He's so good with the scriptures, but he also might behave like a horse's rear end as well. And and you channeling have, the spirit of T. David Gordon, I think. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Right, right. And and you just have to be very careful for that. One of the things I've learned being in a healthy church with a wonderful session is that mavericks don't do well on a session. Mavericks can do some wonderful things in the church and for the church, but Presbyterianism, life as a member of the session, is not an entrepreneurial task. It requires patience. You've got to plod through lots of policy, and sometimes it seems really inefficient, and that's going to drive some personality types crazy. Now, it might be sanctifying for them, and they might learn, but if you've got a guy who's who ticks off a lot of the, the boxes but just would would be a thorn in everybody's side in that sort of environment, it may just be that he's just not fit for that position uh, unless he's highly teachable. I can tell you being on a session with men who have different personality types but are all willingly submissive to the process of Presbyterian polity really works towards our collective benefit. We don't have a man on our session that is constantly chafing against the confines of Presbyterianism. Each of these men understand the patience that that it takes. So everybody is submitting under the confines of Presbyterianism and the the process there and respectfully doing Mm -hmm. so. But you're not saying necessarily that you're not getting different perspectives, oh, yeah, different yeah. opinions, yep. convictions even, and strong convictions maybe. Exactly. Even. And this is where trust is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Um, the members of the session that, that I serve on all feel very welcome <laughs> to make their thoughts known, to make their opinions known. We do not all agree on every single issue. What they've done, and I say they because they really began to work out these things before I arrived on the scene, and so kudos to them. Mm-hmm. What they worked out was how to understand the difference between an issue in principle and an issue in preference. Mm. And when it comes to, to principle issues, these men agree, and they've learned how to then talk about a disagreement in terms of personal preference and where to prioritize those things. But again, I can see where a real kind of maverick entrepreneurial personality could come into a session and wreak some havoc if he's not willing to be humble Mm -hmm. and disciplined and submit Mm -hmm. that drive and appreciate the the plotting nature Mm -hmm. of Presbyterianism. Well, I like it that you use those words like humble and submissive Mm -hmm. because so often we're taught that the leaders are the authority, you know, and it kind of, well, yes, Mm -hmm. but... That takes a submission of its own. Absolutely. Gentleness is a qualification mm-hmm. for, right. for office right. in First uh, Timothy chapter 3. Exactly. And so if you've got a man, for instance, who excels in biblical knowledge, but he's not at all gentle, well, he's not qualified to be an mm-hmm. elder then. Mm-hmm. You know, again, very often 
we can be familiar with churches that ignore the qualification that he must be able to teach and that he must be able to instruct in sound doctrine. We're all aware of churches that don't prioritize those things. But it's equally as bad for the church if an elder excels in his knowledge of the Bible, uh, but he's a jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not qualified either. And so in terms of harmony, you know, the first thing that a session can do to support their pastor is to love each other. A session that where there is trust and where the men submit to the authority which is over them, which is the word of God, and the vows we take to our standards, that can become a really happy environment for a pastor. And so that would be the first thing I would say to a session is work hard to submit yourself to the authorities that are over you and to be gentle with one another. That's the first thing you can do to make a happy pastor. Another thing I think is it's important for session discussions to be conducted by the whole session. Yes. It doesn't always happen that way, particularly with email now. Sometimes one of my elders or another of my elders will send me an email, ask my opinion on something. But at some point in the discussion, it may rise to the level of, okay, everybody in the session needs to be aware of, of how we're thinking on this. So bring the rest of the guys in as well. I think that, as I say, particularly in our social media day, but not exclusive. That could have happened in the past with physical meeting with telephone calls. It's important that everybody on the session is, is aware of, of all of the, the matters of principle or moment that are occurring at any given point, lest it appear that you're getting a faction or, or right, there's a session right. within the session. Right. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a danger to be wary of. It, it is a danger, and I've seen it happen that way. Some, And I would discourage any church with elders, whether they're kind of a congregational church, but they have elders or a Presbyterian church, I would discourage them from having two different bodies of elders. And some churches have moved to that. You know, maybe they'll have 22 elders or something like that, but that's too big and and unwieldy to make any decision. So what we do is then we have a group of five or six or seven that is kind of the executive board and they make the real decisions. I would caution any church Mm. away from that structure. I've seen it done I think it's a bad idea. You, you end up having two different sessions then, two different bodies of elders, and they can end up uh, competing with one another. I've been in that kind of a format. It's not a good idea. Again, this fascination with wanting to be ultra-efficient, I understand that there are places where that's a really good thing. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing in the church, though. I think the plodding nature of Presbyterian church government is very healthy for the church and guards her from rash decisions, foolish decisions. It slows us down. And that is typically, in terms of church leadership, that is typically a good thing. And and that's good for a pastor. That's good for a pastor because it requires him to be submissive to a process. It reminds him that he is not a man that's sitting on top of a pyramid, but he sits at a table with brothers. Mm in terms of his leadership. And it helps guys like me, pastors, keep a more realistic pace. And that has served me well in that regard. I'll say something else. It really helps and encourages and builds up a pastor when his fellow elders, the lay elders of the church, treat him with a measure of, I want to say maybe deference in terms of certain issues. So when it comes to, for instance, theological matters or issues of the pulpit ministry and certain kind of big-picture philosophical issues in terms of the direction of the church, the ruling elders that I serve with do an amazing job of showing me a little bit of deference. 
Now, I return that respect with showing lots of deference to them. The, the reason why that has struck me as so encouraging over the last almost five years now is that previously I'd served in a church where in my first couple of weeks, one of the elders took me out to dinner and explained to me at that dinner, and I'll never forget his words, he said, my job here is to protect the church from you. And that's kind of how I began my ministry at my previous church with one of the elders saying, I'm here the to protect the church just from you. Blows my mm-hmm. mind. I'm going to run interference. I had another elder take me out to coffee and tell me that he was going to fight me every step of the way. See, it, that, that's a problem. Because I think, <laughs> if anything, it should be the other way around. The elders are there to protect the pastor from the excesses of the congregation. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. what I think should be going on. And very often that will have to happen at times. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I have found to be so encouraging from the session that I serve with is, and you have to understand, this was just so different from the environment I came out of. Well, you also weren't a member of the I was not a member of the ruling board of the church. I didn't find that out until after I I started. But they will look to me, they'll ask me questions. Pastor, what do you think about this? And, you know, again, that's just normal, I have found out among a lot of sessions. But if, if you're a member of a session and you never show the pastor a bit of deference in in terms of things like the direction of the pulpit ministry and the worship of the church, I would strongly encourage you to give him a little bit of trust in those areas, and that will mean a great deal to him. So what would you think about an advertisement that I saw a few years ago for a PCA senior pulpit in a big PCA church Mm -hmm. that said among the specs that uh, the pastor reports to the session? What do you make of that phrase? Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, it's an abomination. It is. I think. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unbiblical. It's bad. Yeah, because yeah. what that does, again, it's a secular model. And that's in the previous church where I served. That's what the, the situation was. Um, I was told in an elder meeting that I was their employee. Now, I don't. Yes, I was going to say, I don't know this previous church of which you were a pastor. Of course, Todd, I never preached <laughs> I know. there. I know. But you don't. Would, it, uh, would it be the case that a lot of the people on the, uh, the elder board there were high-flying businessmen? You know, one might assume that. Interesting, because joking aside, it's very clear that what's happening there is the mindset of the high-flying corporate executive is becoming the model for the leadership of the church. Right. And what a session needs to do is know how to differentiate between accountability among brother elders and the idea of this pastor is our employee. Mm. And one of the highest praises I could give to the session that I serve with at Covenant Presbyterian is they've never treated me like their employee. Yeah, yeah. They, they treat me like their brother. And that involves everything from cheerful support yeah. to the kind of accountability that brothers give to one another. Mm, mm. Yeah. And elders, lay elders, sessions out there, listen, you are not the pastor's employer. Well, and that also affects the whole household of God, I mean, that, that business uh-huh. mentality. Sure does. I mean, when you think of rule in the secular world, mm-hmm. And hierarchy in the secular world right. is very different from Christ's kingdom rule. Exactly. And the way that church officers are to be heads of the church in that right. way, they're to serve mm-hmm. from underneath. Yes. So, I mean, it's very different from that top-down business mentality of power and privilege. Right. You know, another thing that that a session can do to really encourage their pastor or pastors is to just do what elders are called to do, to actually do what elders are called to do. And again, that means when you have men that are called, willing, and competent to do things like handle difficult church discipline issues, 
That's a tremendous encouragement to the pastor. Now, the pastor, as a member of the session, is going to be involved from one degree or another in those cases as well. But when he's serving with lay elders, with or as we call them in the, in the PCA, ruling elders, who are actually competent to help navigate those situations, it's so encouraging because he knows he's not shouldering the weight of every one of those situations himself. And I have to tell you, that's been an enormous source of support for me. I, I serve with men who are very competent at handling difficult pastoral situations. And so I never feel as though there's a situation in our church where I just have to carry the whole thing. I have yet to have a situation at our church in, in almost five years where that has been the case because I've got competent brothers who are willing to step in and help to handle those situations. And so, again, that goes back to, Carl, what you brought up, selecting qualified men. I've told our church before, if I was a layperson, I don't know if I would be willing to volunteer for the kind of service no. that the ruling elders in my church volunteer yeah. for. Yeah. These guys work hard. They have jobs. They have families. They have responsibilities. And yet when they took their vows, they apparently really meant it. And they serve the church. Such a good example to the rest of the church, Absolutely. too. We're all called to mm-hmm. sacrificial service in lots yep. of different ways. And, and, of course, they go above and beyond yep. That, but then it models holiness mm-hmm. to the yep. rest of the church. Yep, yep. These are men who are, you know, teaching Sunday school, you know, serving in the nursery, some of them, involved in home groups, making hospital visits, navigating difficult church discipline issues, helping craft the budget, caring for me as well. You know, they just do a, a marvelous job of that. But that's the calling of an elder. They do those kinds of things. And so, again, to the selection and training process is huge there. And let me just mention one more thing in terms of, of what makes for a happy pastor or how to support a pastor. I am currently recording this podcast at the, the opening days of a sabbatical that I have been granted by the session of my church. And yes, Carl, some of us do have sabbaticals. I know that mega uh, church pastors have sabbaticals. <laughs> not yeah, most just normal pastors not can't get them. True, not true. I know single pastor churches that the church grants them a sabbatical. But not your kind where you've been told to do nothing. <laughs> but that's most, just in keeping with actually, what I do most weeks. That's not a sabbatical, yeah, by the way. That's, that's a holiday. It's just, hey, listen, it's a three-month stop holiday. Stop that because people from my church are listening to this. I was going to say, if, <laughs> no, if you're look, at Covenant Harrisonburg, stop it, you want to you dock this guy three three months' salary? He's doing it's, nothing it's not for you. It's not three months. It's 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Okay, 12 um, weeks salary. Now, that's 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 a chunk of the budget. Nearly 25%. Let me now. A lot of money. Let me now silence Carl Truman. That's probably a hundred grand. Who has? Oh my paid. goodness! Oh my goodness! Wow, we're gonna have to go back and edit out a whole bunch of this stuff. <laughs> um, I'm aware of a lot of PCA churches that grant their pastor a sabbatical. You're uh, squirming a bit. Here, well, no, I've Can got. You raised the subject. I, man? I, I think I swallowed a fly. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, every one of the pastors. And the ministry leaders, uh, the staff ministry leaders at Church of the... Oh, the multiple pastors, but it's not a megachurch. Gotcha. At, gotcha. At, every one of them at Covenant Presbyterian Church are granted a sabbatical after five years. I think I think that's recently changed to seven years. But yes, are granted a sabbatical, a 12-week sabbatical. And that was a decision that was made some time ago. 
And it's incredibly wise, I think. Now, Particularly when you're on the receiving end. Stop yeah, it. Stop it. Wait, so you're saying the, el- the elders as well myself. get to... The, the el- mm-hmm. Every officer, elder and deacons, wow. all of them get sabbaticals. Now, for, wow. for, the, for, the, um, for the ruling elders and deacons, they get a year-long sabbatical. Yeah. Every, uh, I forget how many years, but th- they get a year-long sabbatical. Can you point um, me to the passage in Timothy where Paul it. discusses this? My gosh. Uh, we are going to have to take all of this out because you're just being a horse's rear end. Um, uh, and, and what that does is that they are, each one of those men, each one of those officers are assigned um, an elder during their sabbatical who they meet with regularly. And, hmm. you know, th- they're intended during that time to uh, to make sure that they're taking good care of their family, that they're taking good care of their soul, that they're continuing to grow spiritually. Does the concierge pastor also <laughs> The concierge get? pastor does not get that. <laughs> oh. um, but uh, so despite, despite, Carl's, despite Carl's apparent bitterness, <laughs> I, um, I, I, I would encourage... He wouldn't be able to handle a sabbatical. N- no. I, I would encourage churches to think through a sabbatical policy, contact a church that has a good one, and think through adopting some sort of a sabbatical policy. There are certain, you know, I, I had to write up a proposal. Each one of us writes up a proposal. Here are the things that I want to do. Here are the things that I want to read. Here's what I want to learn during that time. Here's what I want to work on in my marriage during that time. And we write all of that up. And then an elder, one of the elders is assigned to me. And we will meet regularly and talk through those things during the sabbatical. There's a couple projects I'm working on as well. Um, but they also want to make sure that the guys on sabbatical do get some rest. Because being in ministry is hard work. Yeah, it yeah, is. It is. It can be physically and emotionally and spiritually mm-hmm. draining and that break every once in a while is uh is is very very helpful what that tells what that tells your pastors is that you love him you want him for the long haul and you want him to have a life that is sustainable um, in the midst of the weightiness of ministry which is his typical life so again ignore everything that <laughs> the snarky pasty englishman said earlier <laughs> And take what I just said seriously. Now, let's shift for a moment. We've got to wrap this up. What are some ways? No, no, no. We can go on. Um, what are some of the ways that a pastor can encourage and support the session? The Sending the him elders? a postcard from his sabbatical telling him how great it is to be <laughs> could, on the beach while they're back there working. That, could so. do that. Um, sever any contact with Carl Truman. That would help as well. One of the things that I try to do, and, it, and it's not a hard thing, it's something that I appreciate, is I will periodically, when I have an opportunity to praise the session on a Sunday morning, either through a sermon illustration or an announcement, I like to remind the church that God has blessed them with a group of men who really love them and care about them and love the Lord and, and love the church. And it's, and it's a treat to be able to say those things with integrity before the congregation and for me to just remind them. You know, there are things that these guys do that you see, and there are a lot of things they do that you don't see, but the Lord's given us a really faithful body of of shepherds. And so I would encourage pastors, you know, publicly encourage these men. Again, like I said, they're volunteering at a level that I'm not sure I would be willing to if I were in their place. We're not wrapping up. Say anything about deacons. I I was instructed by Cruella DeVille to wrap up. Oh, it has been. Yeah, Man, it was, it was kind well, of a bit well of a... Carl burnt up so much time. Carl burnt up so much time yeah. criticizing me for for having a sabbatical. Well, so let me let me wrap just, it up. Oh, okay, okay. You, so, yeah, I have a premium. Oh, he's yeah. got a premium. Yeah, okay. yeah. Please. <laughs> oh, and, and I want to say one more. I mean, I only said one thing about pastors encouraging sessions. Let me say. Let me say something else. Okay. I'm serious because that that's important. That's important. 
<laughs> Sound guy is on point. So, you know, publicly praise these guys. And again, I'm not talking about gratuitous, over-the-top flattery. I'm talking about genuine, sincere. And if you do it every Sunday, it's going to be meaningless. But right. when you get a chance, praise them publicly. But but then also make sure as a pastor that you know these men and you're involved in their life. Um, they are part of the, the church that you are serving as a pastor. They benefit from and at times need the ministry of their pastor as well. They're not just independent men any more than you are. They need the ministry of the word. They need the ministry of the pastor as well. And so encourage them in that way. Well, great. Thank you for joining us on this. It's a part of a new venture of ours, the new series of Todd Pruitt monologues. Uh, <laughs> My goodness. Listen to Todd as he's justified uh, a long holiday at the church's expense. Um, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Uh, and if you have any money you. left after subsidizing Todd's long holiday, please feel free oh to make goodness. a donation there and also enter for a chance to win our premium, which is a guidebook to luxury locations in the Bahamas where <laughs> PCA pastors can take their sabbaticals. No, seriously. Oh. Uh, the, the premium will be David Dixon's book, The Elder and His Work, which is a uh, 19th century book but remains a classic discussing the role of the elder within the life of the local congregation. We'll have a few copies of that to give away. In the meantime, we'd like to thank you for joining us and look forward to being with you next time. We're all going on a summer holiday No more working for a week or two Fun and laughter on a summer holiday No more worries for me or you For a week or two Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Our goal is to teach and welcome and mentor any uh, Bible-believing Protestant that comes through our doors. Join us then. Amy, do a lot of that. Do a lot of, oh, yes. Oh, Todd, that was so, oh, that's brilliant, Todd. Say that again. Uh, do a lot of that. Got it. Okay, perfect. <laughs>